0: Well, good morning. We are so thankful that you're joining us today, whether it's here in person or it's online. Uh, I just wanted to say happy Mother's Day to you. I know that for some of you, uh, whether you're watching or you're here, Mother's Day can be a little tough. Some of you have lost mom. Some of you have moms have lost children. Um, and it it's just it can be a hard holiday. And so we just wanted to let you know that we love you and we're praying for you. And uh, we want you to know that you should be celebrated today, even though it may not feel as much like a celebration today for you as it is for others. The second thing that I have to do is something that I have to do from time to time. It's not necessarily something I enjoy, but I need to uh, make an apology. Uh, Last week, I was a little impassioned, uh, and I know that it did not come across well to some of you. Some of you Uh, have expressed that you were offended and felt like I was attacking you and I just wanted to say that I'm sorry for that. My goal is to always challenge but never to personally attack or personally offend and so if you're one of those that find yourself in that camp whether you're watching online or you're here with us today I just wanted you to know that uh, I apologize for that and I love you and uh, I don't apologize for challenging you but I certainly apologize for the way that I did it and if you felt like I was yelling at you or attacking you personally, once again, I just wanted to say, I'm sorry. Uh, Today is our last week in our series, Alive, and I have titled today, Changed. We are going to be in Acts chapter 9, if you want to go ahead and switch to that. Uh, We're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 9, like I said, verses 1 through 20. Um, We'll see, hopefully, I changed the passage quite a bit this week, so hopefully we've got it all there. But what we're going to find out today, and what you probably know if you have ever had an interaction with Jesus, is that a direct result of interacting with Jesus is being changed. If you've ever had that interaction whatsoever, then you know what I mean. A real meeting with Jesus will change you. We look at stories in the Bible like that of the adulterous woman or the woman at the well, all of the disciples the bleeding woman who just touched the hem of Jesus' cloak, the centurion and his servant, the man who was lowered through the roof by his friends, the pastor that's speaking to you today, and so, so many others. We look today at another person who was drastically changed by Jesus. Maybe his greatest transformation of character throughout the entire scripture, and maybe even through history. And so we're going to look at what we can learn from this man's process. You may have guessed, being an Acts, we're going to look at Paul, uh, referred to in this passage as Saul, but I am going to refer to him as Paul. So if I say Paul, understand that I'm saying Saul. After Christ changed him, he changed his name. It's kind of like a public uh, profession of I am a new man. And so we're going to look at what we can learn from that process for Paul. How we as people who are being changed need to see Jesus and how we as people who have already been changed need to look at people as they are going through that process of change. I need you to bear with me because we are going to read the entire passage today. It is 20 verses long, uh, but I just didn't see any other way around it in order to address the subject in the way I think it needs to be addressed. So starting with verse 1 in chapter 9 of Acts. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. At once, at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Pretty cool passage. Pretty important piece of history for Christianity. And if we look at verse one, there's a really important? important word in verse one. And that word is still. Still. S-T-I-L-L. I I can spell it. Mainly because it's written down. Paul was still breathing murderous threats against the church. What does that establish? It establishes that this is not Paul's first rodeo. Right? This is not his first go-round of persecuting the church. This is not his first go-round of imprisoning Christians of looking for followers of the way and punishing them for following Jesus. He had a long, long record. And here he's taking it to another level. You see, asking for letters from the high priests for the synagogues in Damascus would be like the State Department filing letters of extradition today. He was going to Damascus with the purpose of imprisoning people and carrying them away from their land to take them to Jerusalem. He wanted to put them on trial. He wanted to imprison them. He wanted to persecute them, and he wanted to kill them. How do I know that? Because it said that he was breathing murderous threats. He wanted to take their life. And so he's on his way to Damascus to carry out these threats when he meets Jesus, or maybe more correctly stated, when Jesus meets him. sometimes you meet people, sometimes people meet you. And this was one of those occasions where Jesus stopped Paul dead in his tracks with a light so bright that it blinded him. And we're gonna jump all the way from that story to 18 through 20. I'm gonna read it real quick again. It says, immediately something like scales, can't say that word well, fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. What do we learn from this? It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. Jesus can always raise you back up. This is important. It's important for people that are believers, that have a firm relationship with Jesus. It is monumentally important for those that don't have a relationship with Jesus. Because one of the biggest things that people question is whether or not God can save them. I don't know if God can save me. You're talking about forgiveness. You're speaking about forgiveness. You're saying it's possible, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things I've said. You don't know my actions. You don't know the way I've treated people. Christ may be able to save lots of people, but he can't save me. And so many of us who are already believers struggle with this very fact. Can God really save me? I know that scripture says if I just call on his name, he'll deliver me, but but can God really save me? I'm still struggling with sin. I'm still messing up. I'm still stumbling. God can't save me, can he? It's not possible. How could it be? We need to remember the story of Paul. We need to share the story of Paul. A lot of times when we're evangelizing to others because this man was a murderer. This man was responsible for wrongly imprisoning people and persecuting followers of the way, capital W, the way. He was responsible for ruining lives, for persecuting Jesus himself. Jesus even says that, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It is I, it is Jesus. He is persecuting Jesus. And he goes from that to being the author of the most books in the canonized Bible. That's a transformation. That is an absolute positive transformation. And if you can't see that, I don't know what to tell you. And if you can't look at Paul's story and see that you can be changed, that you can be forgiven. That you can overcome a past, then you may never see it. But you need to understand that Christ is here for you. If you ever think that anyone's too far gone, I'm here to tell you today that you're wrong. That's a tough pill to swallow. But if we look at the man that was on the cross beside Jesus, the man who was dying, being crucified because he deserved to be, because of the crimes that he committed. In his very last moments, when he asked Jesus for forgiveness, what did Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. It is never too late. You are never too far gone. So be encouraged and encourage others. People need to know this. They need to see this. They need to know and feel that they are loved because true change happens when Christ blinds people to their past, just like he did with Paul. And he can do that for you. He can do that for you. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every one, every single person. Every single person. That person murdered somebody. Can they still be forgiven? Yes. Is that a tough pill to swallow? For some of us, sure. If you're a member of the victim's family, would you ever want to feel that? Hopefully, if you know Jesus, you would, but maybe you struggle with that right? This person stole from me. They ruined my family's entire life. We had to file bankruptcy because they stole from me. I have that example because that's what happened to my family. A member of our very own family stole from us, cashed bad checks in our name. My family went from owning a very popular restaurant in Springfield to being bankrupt and living in government housing and shopping in thrift stores exclusively until my grandparents started helping us out once we were in like middle school and stuff. It took a long time to dig out of that hole. Can that person be forgiven? Absolutely. Is it easy to to forgive for us? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But we don't get to be the gatekeepers of forgiveness. And we're gonna talk about that, But. We need to be encouraged and we need to encourage others because as scripture clearly shows, you are never too far gone to be changed. You have never committed so much wrong that you cannot be forgiven. But we also have to know that change takes obedience. Change takes obedience. You see, many of us in this room face sin struggles. I've been very forthright about mine. The biggest one in my life has been lust. As a pastor, no one likes to admit that. It's embarrassing. Does Christ say that's your struggle? So it's all right, right? No, he tells people to go and sin no more. So I have a responsibility to be obedient to that and to combat that. And so I've placed measures and I've said this before. I put them in place to make sure that even if I am feeling temptation, it's not possible for me to to partake, so to speak, without undergoing very, very, very drastic means. It takes obedience to change, to face those sins and to overcome them. Some of our struggles may be more serious than others. But when it comes to defeating sin or turning our back on sin, we have to be obedient. You see, it may have seemed like Paul didn't have a choice. We look at verse 6. Jesus says, now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. But Paul did have a choice. He could have ignored these instructions. He could have said, no way. I've been fighting against you my whole adult life. My entire life has been dedicated to defeating you, to defeating the way, to imprisoning and persecuting your followers. Paul could have said, I'm not doing it. Now, I think Paul probably would have remained blind. I'm going to be honest. But he had a choice. He could have taken that route. I think that all of us face a similar choice. All of us do to be obedient and have our blinders removed or to continue to live life blind to the truth. We get to do one or the other. We can live a life blind to the truth, or we can say, God, reveal to me your truth, remove the blinders and show me the way. Paul chose that option. It completely changes life. And that option is available to all of us as well. If you want to live a life blind to the truth, that's your option. That's your choice. But you need to understand that the wages of sin results in death. And so to conquer sin, we have to be obedient to the word of God because he is instructing us. He is showing us the way. He is telling us what to do. And we have the choice to do that or not to do that. And we also have to understand that on the flip side, right? We talked about those undergoing change and those who have already been changed. And I want to be clear about this because those of us that have already been changed, those of us that have a relationship with Christ, does perfection happen in a second? Absolutely not. We know that, right? We are going through this ongoing process of change. But I'm talking about, when I say those that have already been changed, I'm talking about those that have already had that experience with Jesus, who have accepted Him as their personal Savior and who are trying to live life according to His teachings. Okay? So, to help people conquer sin, we have to be obedient to the word of God. This is those of us that have already been changed. If we want to help others conquer sin, right? And that should be our goal, is to evangelize, is to disciple, is to bring people into the family of God. If we want to help people conquer their sin, we have to be obedient to the word of God. I'm going to start back at verse 10. I know already read them. i read it again. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias. I wonder if Ananias was sitting there thinking, hey, that's my name. <laughs> Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I want you to hear what the man who's already been changed. I want you to hear what the believer says. Lord, Ananias answered. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, their kings, and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. As we know already, Ananias goes. He obeys God. He prays over him. The scales fall. Paul's life is changed. But what we see here is that Paul's reputation preceded him. And Ananias, the believer, the man that had the relationship with Christ, was apprehensive. He'd clearly heard about him and why he was in Damascus to begin with. And so Ananias was apprehensive. I don't want to go talk to this man. I know why he's here. What if he imprisons me? What if he takes me off? What if he he persecutes me? What if that happens? You see, but Jesus had already made his decision on the man. So what Ananias was feeling didn't matter. What does that teach us? Again, something that's very tough for us to come to grips with, with. But as I previously stated, we are not gatekeepers for the change that God can make. We do not get to make the decision on whether or not Christ has touched someone, whether or not Christ has changed a life, whether or not someone is anew. Scripture tells us that we will know them by the fruit that they bear, right? And so in the end, whether or not that change is real or not will be seen. But it's not for us to judge. It's not for us to judge. You know, when Christ finally got a hold of me, I say that because he worked on me for a really long time. When Christ finally got a hold of me and I underwent a change in my life, those that I was closest to doubted it. They said, this isn't going to last. I even asked one of my best friends at the time, why are you saying that? Because I just know you. You'll be at a party next weekend. No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to be. I I need you to know. I need you to see that I am changed. And those people that I knew that were Christians, that were my age, that could have surrounded me and helped, mentor me and help disciple me and help move me forward in my relationship with Christ wanted nothing to do with me. Because my reputation preceded me. And I find it very hard to blame them because I know the things that I was doing and they were the farthest thing from Christ-like. And I wasn't exactly ashamed of them like I should have been and I wasn't very secretive. So they knew the things. Those that I were closest to abandoned me, doubted the change that I said was taking place. Those that could have been there that had already been through that change that could have helped guide and lead and direct my steps always kept me at arm's length. As Christians, what are we gonna do? Because we don't get to make the determination whether or not someone is truly changed. Fact of the matter is that you never know what God is doing through someone. You never know how He is using you to influence someone that's gonna improve the world, that's gonna help build the kingdom, that's going to change lives. You see, Paul gets all the credit for his ministry. And he did great things, and he should. God bless you, child. But Ananias was the catalyst for the completion of the change that took place in Paul. You see, for Paul's ministry to ever begin, God needed Ananias to go and to be obedient, to lay hands on him and to pray for him, and to fulfill for for Paul what God said would be. And you may get to be that for someone else in this world. You may get to be that for someone else in this world. Can you imagine being the person that led Billy Graham to know Jesus? I don't know his name, do you? Guarantee you Billy did. And that man reached thousands, if not millions, for the kingdom. And it all started with a relationship with someone who said, you're saying Christ has changed you. I believe you. Here's what we do next. And we all have the ability to be that change for someone else. We can be the Ananias for others on their journey with Christ. And the last thing that I think we see from this passage, and it's very important, is don't be afraid to step up and serve even if you're immature in your faith. In verse 20, we're said at once, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, there are a few things that I think that we can take from the last line in this story. Like being changed by Christ calls us to action. We've already covered that. I think What stands out to me most about this passage is the immediacy of his ministry. Now, let's be honest. Saul had a little bit of a head start. He was a very intelligent man. He was a scholar. He knew the scriptures, the law, and the prophets as well as anyone. And so it's not exactly like we necessarily would all have the same starting point because Paul had a, a really strong foundation, but he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. And the minute he met him, immediately he began to go and preach that Jesus was the son of God. I'm not saying that you get saved and the next day you go pastor a church, right? Or you start applying for local churches. One of the first questions they ask you, how long have you been saved? Two days. Okay, maybe call us a little later, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we get saved and then all of a sudden we go and and we're just chasing after ministry. Maybe you are because God may be calling you to that and and that's a good thing. That's important. But again, I just want to be clear that I'm not saying that you go right away and you're preaching in churches. But you can serve. You can serve while you're on your journey to becoming more Christ-like. Don't be afraid to serve because you are not Fully equipped. This next line is something that we talked about, I think, in an elder's meeting. It's not mine. It's really good stuff. I did not come up with it, right? It's been a long-standing debate in Christian circles. And you're going to know where I stand on it today because Jesus doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, right? Jesus does not call the equipped He doesn't look at somebody and say, you have everything we need, you're coming. Oftentimes he finds somebody, he chooses them and then he gives them what it is that they need. We see that time and time and time again in scripture. You could talk to a hundred pastors and I guarantee you that their testimony, the things that they've done in their life, a vast majority of the time is gonna be far worse than anybody in their congregation. Not that it's a competition, but I've said this, and I'll say it again. I would put my past as far as the sin that I accomplished, if that's the way you want to look at it, against anyone's here. God did not call me to the ministry because I was this perfect little Christian soldier. I am the farthest thing from that, naturally, right? Naturally, if left to my own devices, if left to my own instincts, not a very good person. That may shock some of you, I know. But Christ equips the call and he has worked in me and he has changed me. And all I'm saying is that he can do that for you as well. And so if there's an opportunity to serve, step up and serve. If there's an opportunity to be changed in our world. Do that. You don't have to have all the answers. You can be very upfront about that when you begin the process. Hey, just so you know, I'm kind of new to all this, but I just want to help. I just want to serve. I just want to do something. Fantastic. Great. Right. And so I think that that's an important lesson for us to learn. You know, throughout this series, Jesus has continued to show us and teach us, I think, new things. From, from a time in his life that I'll be honest, being in church, I've never, and I need to say this with a caveat that there's a really good chance I wasn't listening. I've never really heard a sermon series on this time in Jesus' life. That's not a pat on the back. That's just saying that so often this time in Jesus' life, I think, gets ignored because of everything that happened up until that point, right? And we talk about him being raised from the dead, and then it's like his ascension into heaven, but all that in between gets skipped. Christ is always working. He's always moving. And last week, and we heard it in the kids' verse today, One of the statements he made, I will be with you always to the end of the age. I just want to encourage you and let you know that Christ is still working in you. You may not necessarily feel it. You may not see it as being something that's possible. You may be too immature in your faith. You may be too old. You may be too young. You may be a million different things, but Christ is working in you. I am a firm believer that if you are here on this earth, Christ still has a purpose for you to fulfill. And when you fulfill that purpose, he will take you home because he would much rather you be with him than you be here. And so just know that if you are here today, you are here today with a purpose. You are here today to have life because Christ has made you alive. And I just want to leave you with that encouragement. You have power within you that is not your own and you must use it. You must use it. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for the fact that you reveal yourself to us, that you don't have to be a mystery, God, because you reveal yourself to us every day. All we have to do is open the book and you allow us to have relationship with you and you allow us to connect with you and you allow us to be changed. None of us are ever too far gone and none of us are damaged goods. You look at what the rest of the world may see as imperfection and say to yourself, I can use that. I can use that. God, may we all have the courage to step up and serve may we all have the faith to believe and not just to to believe but to know to know that we can be made righteous through what it was that Christ did on the cross. Help us to understand and to wrap our heads around the fact that Christ is always working. He is still moving within us. We all have something to offer. We all have value. We all have worth. On a side note, God, I want to lift up all the mothers in this room today, all those that may be watching, really all those in our world. Being a mom is one of the toughest jobs that I think that you give any of us. And I think if you ask the moms in this room, they would also tell you that it's one of the most rewarding, but it can also be one of the most heartbreaking. It can be also be one of the most devastating. So God, not only do we want to praise you for the moms that we have in our church and the moms that are making the difference in this world, raising their kids up and pouring their heart and soul into them, but God, we also want to raise up those moms today that are struggling a little bit, because Maybe everything didn't work out the way that they thought it would. They've lost the child. They're estranged from their child. God, be with them. Wrap them in your arms today and love them so very much. We ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen here to tell you today that God is moving in your life. I know I've already said that, but I just want to say it one more time. God is moving in your life. And if you don't know God, he is waiting to do wondrous things through you. And so if you need to know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus, by all means, come talk to me today. If you need to be prayed for, or you need to pray for someone else, and you would like me to pray with you, I would be honored to come see me. If you'd like to use the stage as an altar, then do that as well. Otherwise, let's stand right now and let's just pour out an offering of praise.